you have your Bibles, you want to turn to Isaiah chapter 9, that's where we'll be this morning. Uh, I want to say thank you to everyone that uh, came up this week and decorated. Definitely makes the place look nice and gets kind of sets the mood for us, right, as we move into this season of, of Advent. Um, I, I trust that your, your house is decorated, that you have your trees and your lights and all that good stuff up. Um, that's what you do the day after Thanksgiving, right? Yes, okay, some of you said yes, some of you are looking at me like, decorations? Yes, it's that time of year. Um, also, thank you to those of you that, that uh, contributed for our Advent devotional book. If you haven't picked one up, uh, we have some around uh, at the exits, but also in the church office. If you didn't ha- have a chance to, to get one of those, I want to encourage you to do so. A few weeks ago, Troy let me know that he wouldn't be here today. He's over at the Cowboy Church in Welburn. Uh, Aggie Land Cowboy Church. It's a church that we helped start a few years ago, and uh, today they are constituting as a church. They're celebrating their fifth year uh, as a church, and uh, and kind of this is kind of their independence. And so uh, they invited Troy to come over and be a part of that. And so Troy said, "Yeah, we'll be starting Advent, and we're doing the characters of Advent. So you have the prophets." Oh, okay, good. That's only like a third of the Bible. So where do you go? You know, where do you start with that? And so I, I began to. I began to pray not only for the direction that God would want me to go with the message, but also that we would be able to enter into this season of Advent and go through this Christmas season with more expectation than normal. Uh, we put the decorations up, and those are nice, and they're good, and we enjoy those. But, the, but what the prophets wrote about and what they foretold about the Messiah had to be more than just that, right? There had to be more to it than just something that people would celebrate every year with different kinds of traditions and different ways and, and all that kind of stuff. And so um, I, really be, I, I began to really uh, zero in on, on Isaiah 9 because I believe that there is, a, I believe that the context of that is very familiar to what we face today. And, uh, and, and so we're going we're gonna to dive in and see, see what happens here. Uh, I'm going to state something pretty obvious. I don't think this is going to catch anybody off guard, but we are a society that is infatuated with news. I don't know if you've, if that's, I don't know if that's registered on your radar yet or not, uh, but we have 24-hour news stations, multiple options. We have 24-hour weather. We have 24-hour sports news, business news, fashion, entertainment. We are a people that wants to know what's going on, and we want to know right now right? Um, We want to be informed, and I believe we want to be informed not just for our own benefit, but we want to be informed so we can share that information with others so that we can appear more knowledgeable, uh, to to be the smart one, to be the first one to drop that golden nugget that everyone's talking about. And this goes on all the time at our house if there's a football game on. I cannot watch a football game, it seems, these days without having my Twitter feed open, and I'm scrolling through different journalists and different things that I follow, all waiting to find some wonderful nugget that I can drop on Cynthia at the drop of a hat, say, well, did you realize, you know, and I'll fill her in with this nugget. And she loves that. You would be surprised. She, <laughs> she eats that up. Actually, she, uh, unbeknownst to me one year, and some of you are aware of this, you saw this in our summer study class, unbeknownst to me, uh, one year while watching a football game, she was over there, I thought she was just doodling, she was actually making a watching football with clay bingo card. (laughs) 
And so anytime I would utter a phrase like, that's holding, or, well, the reason he could do that is because they were holding, or any, there's a check's phone on the bingo card. She, she knows me well. But we want to be, but, but, but we're infatuated with news, we're infatuated with knowing what's going on and wanting to share that information. We want to be, we want to know that things are going to be okay. Our news people have even become celebrities. I cannot believe that, that years ago when, a young, when this particular young man was studying the difference between a warm front and a cold front that Jim Cantore thought he might be a household name one day. But he's the most celebrated weatherman we have now in our country. There's a hurricane, there's Jim Cantore. He's out there, he's holding on to the sign, the wind's blowing. If there's a major snowstorm, there's Jim Cantore. We've, we've allowed them, we, we've, we've elevated them to celebrity status. They, they, we, we treat them as if they are part of our family, our close circle of friends. Obviously, there is a danger associated with becoming so obsessed, so engrossed in whatever your news flavor is to the point of being dependent on it, to putting your trust in it, to relying on that knowledge to comfort you and to shape your own thoughts and opinions and, and to, to a pretty scary extent to give purpose to your life. We trust the information and the ones delivering that information to an unhealthy level. You say, I know some of you are sitting there going, what in the world does this have to do with Advent? Hold on, all right? Hold on just a second. Isaiah, it's a good segue. Isaiah was called by God to speak to the southern kingdom of Judah. And he ministered during the reign of four different kings. And we don't know the exact dates, but we do know by the, by the sheer volume of, of, of work that we have in the Old Testament, we know that he was a significant prophet. We know that, um, that, that he, had, uh, he had quite an audience and that his words uh, were, were, were held captive because of so many of the New Testament writers that quoted him as well. We're very familiar over in Isaiah chapter 6 with the call of Isaiah. You might, you might remember that uh, in, in that setting, uh, Isaiah saw the Lord. He, he, he saw the Lord in his temple and, and got to see this incredible vision. And Isaiah was like, woe to me, I am a man of unclean lips. I have no business being here. And what did the Lord do? Uh, he sent an angel to grab uh, the, 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 the uh, flaming coals and went and touched Isaiah's lips and said, you are going to be my spokesman. And we get all excited about that, right? We get excited whenever someone uh, surrenders to go on the mission field or, or surrenders to the ministry or, or we dedicate someone to, to some kind of special service. And we often quote this. But what we, what we often forget or what we often leave out are the last few verses of that chapter because the last few verse of, verses of that chapter set the context from which chapter 9 flows. In the last few verses, the Lord says, you're going to go and you're going to take this message and they ain't going to listen. They're going to reject what you say. Now, who wants to sign up for that? Oh, I want to be a messenger that no one listens to. I want to be the guy on TV that as soon as they see me on TV, they change the channel. No one wants that, right? But that's exactly what Isaiah was called to, and that's the context that we see here. The Lord called him to to be bold. The Lord needed what we might call a holy pruning of God's people to be done, and Isaiah was the spokesman. So that's the context for our text today. So if you found Isaiah chapter 9, we're going to look at the first seven verses. I want to invite you to stand as we read this in honor of the Word of God. 
The prophet writes, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Pray with me, please. Father, um, as we, as we examine this, this text, as we consider the setting. Father, may, will, will you help us in, to, to understand how well this fits into where we are as a people? God, that, that the message you have for us today is, is one of hope. Uh, it's one that we can take with us and we can, we can hold on to. God, may, may your words give us greater purpose during this Advent season. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So the nation of Judah had a bad case of what we might call misplaced trust. Uh, they, they no longer trusted in God but in other things. Instead of being uh, protected by the promise of the presence of God that they had known, they were trusting in the protection of surrounding nations, which was kind of strange because the surrounding nations wanted to come in and overwhelm them and claim their land. They chose political answers over relying on faith. And led by King Ahaz, the nation had plummeted into war. If you go back and look at chapter 7 and 8, you'll see the distress and the darkness that had come over the land. Why, why was this such a coveted piece of property? Well, it was a coveted piece of property because it was lush in agriculture uh, and it was a great passageway from north to south. So, so throughout its history, we, we go back and we read through the Old Testament. When nations would go in and try to attack, they were doing so for, for good reason. They, it, it was good soil, so to speak, and it was a great uh, setup for commerce and for the marketplace. In fact, Isaiah mentioned it here when he talked about uh, Midian. That, is, that goes back, if you read in Judges, where, where God chose Gideon to defeat uh, th- those that were attacking them at that, at that time. It's the exact same place. It's the exact same situation that's happening uh, once again. And right in the midst, uh, at this time it's uh, Assyria, and right where this conquest begins, God promises a deliverer. They've done absolutely nothing to earn that from God. God had no reason to promise a deliverer in the midst of this. They had turned their back on him. They had begun to worship idols. 
They had cast everything aside. They were no longer depending on him. They were depending on others. They were no longer relying on him in faith. They were choosing what seemed right within the context of the day. But God said he was going to provide. How? Through the birth of a child. You see, where I believe this, this ties in for us today is I think many of us today are in the same boat as, the, as, as Judah, the nation of Judah in the 8th century B.C. We have bought into this false promise that says the more you know, the better off you will be. We believe that a large quantity of knowledge, whether true or not, will somehow satisfy us and give us peace that we, that we long for more so than a quality relationship with the one who is truth. See, we're seeking truth in places that may or may not be truth when we have the one who is truth that desires a relationship with us. Instead, what we're left with are, are these, we're left with divisive, hate-filled opinions. We're left with gruesome scenes of violence. We're left with fear, enticing rhetoric that pours through our TVs, our computers, computers, and our social media outlets. And so what it's done, what's the result of that? It's warped our understanding of who we are And it's warped our understanding of who our neighbors are, both across the street and around the globe. We no longer see people as made, created in the image of God, and we see them as something other than ourselves. That's a dangerous place for us to be. And we see evidence of that all around us. I I think at this point, I, I think everybody in here would be on board with me and say, yes, that describes where we are today. So much like Judah during Isaiah's day, we need a deliverer. We, we need to understand that our, that our misplaced trust needs to be corrected. We have lost sight. This is a result of, of this. We have lost sight that this is not it for us, that this world is not it for us that God has something much bigger for us. This is not our eternal home. But because of sin, this world is going to continue to get worse and worse. So here's what I want us to do in the time we have remaining. I want us to explore these four names that Isaiah gives. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And what what I want to do is I want to, so we're going to take each of those four names. I want to attach four adjectives to them that help me understand better what what the prophet is saying and then as I was going through this I just began to ask myself some questions and so for lack of anything creative in 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 my bones I came up with four what I call big questions all right there's nothing fancy about it there's no alliteration to it it's just four questions that popped in my mind as we were going along so let's let's dive in the first thing Isaiah says he, he names this deliverer wonderful counselor and to help me understand that, I realize that our deliverer is perfectly wise. So Isaiah named him Wonderful Counselor, which combines the idea of doing something wonderful, extraordinary, miraculous, something beyond what we can fathom, and combining that with the skill of giving wise advice, making plans, and of counsel. So what this suggests is that this son, this deliverer's life, will somehow exhibit not only the miraculous acts of God, but will do so in the sphere of wise planning and decision-making. That sounds like a pretty good promise, doesn't it? Someone who can do extraordinary things and at the same time give us the greatest counsel. 
Since God is the source of all miraculous events and his plans are the wisest counsel to follow, God will work in and through this son to demonstrate his extraordinary wisdom and do miraculous things. Think about the life of Christ for a moment. Think about the things that he did, the way he interacted with people. How did he do so? He did so with incredible grace. He did so with incredible kindness. He did so with truth. And he fought for justice. He did incredible, wonderful, miraculous things. But then he also taught incredible, wonderful things. Things that that enabled people to understand who God is in a way that they hadn't considered it before. Think about the Sermon on the Mount. We could condense all of it into, into just one section of Scripture, Matthew's, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. Jesus starts with the Beatitudes in, in Matthew 5, and he lists, the, this is what will reflect someone who is blessed, someone who finds peace and contentment. This person is merciful. This person um, uh, is, um, this person seeks justice. This person is loving. That, that, is the, that is the person who's going to find these things. And he continues on through chapter 6 and 7. He takes the law and, and turns it upside down, and he, and he gives clarity to it and, and reveals that the condition of the heart is what is most important. That you can act a certain way, but if your heart still has hate in it, if your heart still has, has um, uh, distrust in it, that those things are going to eat you alive. And he says the, heart, the condition of the heart was of utmost importance. So contrast this wisdom of Jesus with that of Ahaz in our context today. And it could not be more clear. Ahaz was a fool who sought help from nations that couldn't provide the help that God could. And along the way, he humiliated his people. He brought in idols. He brought in wicked customs from the nations around him. And he was so wicked that they did not even bury him with the other kings of Judah. The wonderful counselor is all-knowing and he desires good for you. We talked about that just last week in Romans chapter 8. Then in the midst of circumstances, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of all kinds of nonsense going on in our lives today, God desires good for you. That's his desire for you. So here's the big question, big question number one that I came up with. What is going on in your life today where you need the counsel of the Holy Spirit? This is something that was promised to the nation of Judah 700 years before Jesus came along, and and it's still a promise to us today, is that we have this wonderful counselor that we can turn to and we can rely on and we can trust, that we can take our issues, we can take our problems, we can take all of these and lay them at his feet if we will do it and then listen, and then act. I hope during this season of Advent that you can find comfort in knowing that that wonderful counselor rules with great wisdom and is ever-present for you to turn to. I I thought of a few um, in preparation. Are, Are you facing struggles in this world? I find great comfort in knowing that Jesus told his disciples, you're gonna face struggles in this world. But what did, he, what did he promise them? John 16, 33. You're going to face struggles, but fear not. I have overcome the world. The world's going to give you a lot of garbage. The world's going to throw all kinds of stuff at you. Are you going to trust the world? Or are you going to trust the wonderful counselor? 
Do you need direction in your life? I'm going to look at this section for right now. You guys looking for direction in your life? Jesus, Matthew 6, says, Seek first the kingdom of God, and then all these things are going to be added to you. If you're sitting here today and you're juggling all these things, uh, should, I, should I change my major? What should I do after graduation? What should I do uh, this? Is this the right person for me or, or not? Uh, I'm not sure what direction I need to go. Jesus wants to say to you, calm down, take a breath, and seek my kingdom first. And what's beautiful is he doesn't just end it right there. And then he says, all this other stuff's going to take care of itself. I'm going to make sure all this other stuff takes care of itself. We do not have to be anxious. We do not have to worry. You ever feel like sometimes that what you have to offer isn't enough? Does that stress you out? Can God really use me? I don't really have any great talent. I can't speak. I can't sing. Can God really use me? I love the words of Paul. He says, our God who is able to do immeasurably more than what we can come up with on our own, what we can fathom, what we think about ourselves. He can do it. So it doesn't matter if you can sing. It doesn't matter if you can speak publicly. If you are a willing servant, God can take you and he can do incredible things through your life. He wants to do incredible things through your life. He is a wonderful counselor who is perfectly wise and has big plans for you, far more than you can imagine. Second name that Isaiah gives this deliverer is mighty God. And this is a bold claim in the Old Testament because Isaiah is using language that's found throughout the Old Testament that is exclusively reserved for God the Father. So while we often look to John uh, in the New Testament to give some of, our, some of the foundation of our theology for the divinity of Jesus, that he is fully human and fully God, Isaiah began to, to, to put that thought in people's heads uh, long before Jesus came, uh, came on the scene. No other person has ever had God's name, and God was never called Moses or Abram or David or Jeremiah. So there's something very special about this son, about this deliverer that caused him to have God's name. And all of the power of God was given to this deliverer, was given to the son, was given to Jesus. When he was with his disciples in the upper room, John wrote this in, in chapter thirteen three. It says, Jesus, knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, got up and washed his disciples' feet. As Jesus was leaving earth, he, looked at his, he told his disciples, we read this in Matthew 28, he told his disciples that all authority, all power on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. This son was perfectly powerful. This deliverer was perfectly powerful. And a lot of times that intimidates us and we think, well, I can't approach, I can't approach some, someone that powerful. I cannot get close to him. But what did Jesus do in that upper room with those disciples? Knowing that he had that power, knowing that he was the most powerful person to have ever lived and would ever lived, he grabbed a bowl of water and a towel and one by one, he got down on his knees and he took those disciples' nasty, dirty feet and he washed them. The ultimate act of emptying self and service 
What that tells me is that there is nothing going on in my life that is beneath Jesus. None of the stuff that I deal with, none of the stuff you deal with is beneath Jesus. He is willing to get down into whatever grimy mess you found yourself in and walk you through it. So my big question number two is, where am I not allowing God's powerful presence in my life? What am I afraid to give up? Is it sin? Are you holding on to that sin because it's, it's like your comfort blanket? That comfort blanket is temporary. That comfort blanket is not lasting. It's not eternal. Jesus says, let me take that and let me wrap you in my arms. Let me walk you through this. Is it a relationship? Is there a relationship that you feel is just so shattered beyond all measure, there's just absolutely no hope? Jesus can help you find a way to restore that relationship in a way that will honor him. Is it a step of faith that you're hesitant to take? If Jesus is in it, you have the power of Almighty God willing to reach out and hold your hand and take that step of faith with you. We are without excuse. There is nothing to fear if Jesus is guiding those steps. He is our mighty God. So he's our wonderful counselor. He's our mighty God. He's our everlasting father which means that he is perfectly eternal. He was with God in the beginning, John chapter 1. He's present with us now, and he will always be. And his rule will never, ever end. So I find great comfort in knowing that long before any difficult situation I face today, any any crazy stuff that's going on in my life that pops up, long before we had red states, blue states, long before Trump got elected, if that's something that terrifies you, long before taxes and mortgages and raising kids and education costs and health care costs, just getting through school, long before mental illness and derangement and violence and the anger that we see today, Jesus existed. Nothing that we see today caught, God, caught him off guard. I find great comfort in that. God is not up there going, did not plan for 2018. (laughs) I didn't see this one coming. I saw a lot of stuff coming, but I didn't see 2018 coming. No, before all this mess, Jesus existed. He is here today and he will be on the throne for eternity. And I find incredible great comfort in that. He's not changed his plan moving forward. God has not changed the plan. The stuff happening today, not changing the plan. And we know the end, right? We know the end because God gave his good friend John a vision of what it would look like. And we see that in the book of Revelation. We see, uh, we see how, how the story ends. And this message that our everlasting Father would want us to remember today is that this world is temporary. In Christ, we have great hope of a new tomorrow where there will be no more tears, no more pain, no more illness, no more bullying, no more bloodshed, no more elections, no more election ads on television. 
There will be no more division by gender or economic status or race. Jesus Christ will rule forever as our perfectly eternal, everlasting Father. So my big question number three, what situation in my life right now can either be made better or stress relieved by understanding Jesus is perfectly eternal? What can be better by knowing that Jesus is perfectly eternal? What can be better by having just a little little switch flipped that, that changes my lenses from looking at the world, the physical world, the present world, to thinking eternally? That's the, that's the key to how Jesus related to people. He didn't look at them as male, female. He didn't look at them as their skin color, their race. He looked at them as someone born in the image of God that he desired a relationship with and that that was eternal. That's, that's the key. I think that's the key for us today. During this season of Advent, if you want to love your neighbors properly, consider their eternity. Think about them from an eternal perspective because our father is an everlasting father and finally isaiah says he is the prince of peace which means he is perfectly peaceful in our world and in our life under ahaz life was anything but peaceful sound familiar anybody want to categorize the world we live in today as peaceful i didn't think so i didn't think so but see, in Christ, the things that divide us are no longer the focal point for us. In 2 Corinthians 5.16, Paul tells us that we are to regard no, one, uh, regard no one according to the flesh. That means when you meet someone, your first thought is, well, that's a woman. So, you know, second-class citizen. And I realize we're in 2018. But there was a day, a long time ago, that some of you remember where women didn't have the same opportunities as men. It means that whenever we see someone, we, we don't think the color of their skin. It means whenever we see someone and we kind of assess what they're wearing or what car they drove in, up in, we're thinking about their economic status. See, all of that has been taken away through Christ. So male, female, white skin to black skin, every shade in between, ethnicity, Democrat, Republican, North, South, East side, West side, doesn't matter what side you're from, all of that is gone in Christ. Jesus is the Prince of Peace because in him, none of those carry any weight. When we are in Christ, we are unified and where there is unity, there is peace. You want peace in your world? Surrender your life to Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to invite you to take that first step of faith today. You may not know anything about any of this, but you say, that guy said I could have peace. I want peace. If that's, all, if, if that's all you understand, take that step of faith today. In a moment when we, when we close our service, we're going to have a time where you can come and, and, and talk with somebody. And if that's you today, I want to encourage you to take that step today. Maybe you're here with a friend. Grab that friend by the hand and say, he talked about peace. I don't have peace. I need peace. But Jesus is our Prince of Peace. He is perfectly peaceful. So my big question for you is, where do you need peace in your life? 
And have you invited Jesus into that part of your life to show you peace? He said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Paul wrote, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What an amazing promise. Our hearts and our minds guarded. He's standing ready to protect our hearts and our minds. I don't know about you, but if my mind is protected from all the junk, I can experience peace. If my heart is protected from the things of this world and I allow Jesus to dwell there, I'm going to experience peace. What an incredible promise. For some, this Christmas may be about finding peace, having your heart settled and comforted. And I want to encourage you to reach out to him. Because that's his desire for you. So I think if we summed up all the words of the prophets, to think about the coming Savior, it's this promise, we sang about it earlier, the promise of Emmanuel. God with us. Emmanuel. In my struggles, God with me. In my broken relationships, God with me. In my failures, God with me. When I sin, God with me. When I have successes, God with me. In all things, we have great reason to rejoice because God is with us and his name is wonderful counselor mighty God everlasting father prince of peace Mm -hmm.